Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast, Season 1, Episode 55. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have Dick Foth back with us on Back Channel with Foth. And that's when listeners send in questions, and um, we give those to Dick, and we get to learn from his wisdom and insight and experience. After our time with Dick, we're going to jump into our uh, interview with Warren Bullock and discuss his book, When Words Hurt, and on the growth capacity of people care. Dick, so excited to be with you um, back again on the podcast. Thanks. Me too. I like it. Good deal. Good deal. Dick, the first question um, that a listener sent in was, when it comes to conflict on a team, what are some practical things we can do to bring resolution? I think the fact that the question, the question frames a good uh, truth is hmm. that if you have a team, you will have conflict. So don't okay. be surprised. Okay. okay. <clears throat> I think the first thing is to recognize that conflict is neutral. Hmm. It's not good or bad. I mean, anybody who is married or has a good friend or has whatever, single parent raising children, knows that if you have two people in the same room, over time you're going to have some kind of conflict. Yeah. Ideas, feelings, whatever. So it's neutral. How I respond to it makes all the difference. There's a great book. It's an old book now that came out uh, written by a Mennonite fellow by the name of David Augsburg. Hmm. And the title of the book is Caring Enough to Confront. Wow. And he lists um, five ways to respond to conflict. Should I, should I just toss this out real quick? Well, sure. Yeah. yeah. First, the first way to respond to conflict, and, and four, three of the five aren't great, okay? The first one is, I'll get you. I'm right, you're wrong, I'm going to get you. We've all yeah. done that. Yeah. The, the uh, second one is, um, I'm always wrong, you're always right. Hmm. You know, I'll just, I'll just sit over here in the corner and suck my thumb and just feel bad about myself in the, the you know, prenatal position or whatever. And someone who, who exceeds to that is uh, is um, not helping in communication. Yeah. If you're always right, I'm always wrong. Third thing is, well, well, if that's the way you are, I'm going to get out. I'm just going to walk. Some years ago, I was at a missions conference in Cartagena, Colombia, and a, and a missionary came up and said I was in Alabama, itinerating, doing deputational work, and they were honoring a couple in this church who had been married 75 years. That means you're early 90s at least. Yeah. And they brought this old couple up to the front. And the pastor said to the guy, said, so, sir, what do you, to what do you owe the longevity of your relationship? And I can't do a quality Alabama accent. Right. But this, this old boy said, well, me and Mom, when we was first married, we had this agreement that if we ever got into it, got into a snit or a fight, or, you know, with it, that if it got too hot, I'd just walk out and just sit on the porch until we cooled down. Then I'd go back on in there and we'd talk it on out. He said, he chuckled and said, I... I guess I guess our marriage lasted this long because of all that great outdoor living. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the idea of getting out uh, generally is not a good idea, but taking some time, distance, deep breath might not be a bad thing. Fourth thing is compromise. I'll come this far, you come that far. But the best way to resolve conflict is to is to affirm the person and confront the issue. Wow. Here, here is Jesus in John 8 saying to the woman caught in the act of adultery, you know, that's not the 
that's not the kind of thing great women do. So what I would say is go and don't do that anymore. He he values her as a person and then uh, uh, confronts the issue or speaks to the issue. So that, that's one set of things about conflict. The second thing is in, in resolving conflict, I just don't need to know what you think on the subject. Let's say it's an issue. Yeah. I need to know what you know on the subject hmm. for starters. I need to know what you think on the matter. Yeah. And then I need to know what you feel because hmm. feelings are different than thoughts. And, and when it comes to, um, women and men in general terms, uh, women tend to speak from their feelings more readily than guys do, hmm. you know, it takes a while to get there. Yeah. And, uh, and again, that is a generalization. It's not absolutely true, but, uh, feelings are deep. And so when I read Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he has this conversation with the person he trusts most, his father. And he says, he says this in essence, the folk paraphrase, father, if there's any way, this is what I think if there's any way to take this cup from me, take it away. Because uh, what I'm feeling here, sweating great drops of blood, you know, this is what I feel. Nevertheless, what I know is you're trustworthy, not my will, but yours be done. If I don't do this thing, Foth and Santamire don't get in. Yeah. So what I know, what I think, what I feel are critical to be in the discussion. The other thing is, is that whatever the issue is, you need to, you need to name it if it's the issue. Uh, there have been two films on Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, yeah. in the last year and a half. He had this great line, and it is, what can be mentioned can be managed. Hmm. So conflict that is under the surface is exactly what the enemy of our souls wants. Wow. He doesn't want us to bring it into the light. He That's doesn't cool. want us to, to name it. And That's so good. what can be mentioned can be managed. That's so, good. I think that's um, good stuff. Dick, the second question kind of lines or kind of segues into that. Um, does the awkwardness of those difficult conversations ever get easier? So bringing those when it's, you know, bringing those things into the light, does it ever get more comfortable or easier or do those conversations always remain difficult? So th- those of you who are listening, that's my telephone. That's <laughs> And I think it's, I think it's our our author daughter in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> I think. So, okay, yeah. Uh, um, does the awkwardness of difficult conversations ever get easier? Uh, um, I think I would say this. For, first of all, there are categories of difficult okay. conversations. And again, we know this in any interpersonal relationship. There are some information, some uh, situations or conversations that have to respond to infractions something has happened in the organization or some have to do with competencies you you have the a wonderful right person in the wrong role and you have to say you know how do we work through this sometimes there are conflicting visions like i already mentioned about the how we get there from here or sometimes it's personality or history issues Um, I think it's critical to understand that the enemy of our souls and the enemy of our missions does not want us to work as one together is the, is the mantra or the baseline for the kingdom of God. 
and and anything that can pull us apart, uh, which which might be, I am unwilling to have a difficult conversation. First of all, I need to not assume that it's going to be difficult. I may think it is going to be. I may feel like it's going to be, but I don't know that it's going to be until I get into it. Okay. And uh, I think that, to answer the question, that the awkwardness of difficult conversations gets easier because if you have, as you have more of them, you find out that it's the difficult conversations that most often move the ball down the field. Wow. That's good. If, you don't, if you don't have those. I had a situation where I had to let somebody go when I was a college president. And boy, he, the person was revered and loved, but there had been an infraction and so forth. And um, a friend of mine, a psychologist on our team said, I have an organizational psychologist in San Jose, California. We need to have lunch. We sit down. He says, Dick, tell me your story. I tell him 15 minutes. He said, do you ever have any breakups in your family? I said, yeah, my parents divorced after 29 years of marriage. And he said, how do you see the college? How do you refer to the college team? I said, we refer to it as family. He said, my sense is that you've already had one breakup in your family and you don't want to be part of another one. Wow. But you need to know, unless you do this, it's going to cripple the entire organization. Wow. And I went back and had the difficult conversation. Wow. And years later, that person came back to me and said, I was mad at the moment, but you did absolutely the right thing. Wow. So uh, also, I think in those difficult conversations, ask the Holy Spirit to prepare your heart yeah. and theirs. Because the, the Spirit of God wants this to work. And finally, realize that in leadership, it's more important to be respected than it is to be liked. Wow. I have That's a great challenge with that because I'm a guy who likes to be liked. Yeah. But when you're, when you're in leadership, and when I was a college president, um, I learned in a hurry different than pastoring. Yeah. Because in pastoring over time, I got to be trusted. Yeah. But in, in college leadership, I was the administration. Yeah. And it took me a while to figure that out. Uh, so in anyway, uh, people who are in conversations with you yeah. um, generally would say, I just want it to be fair. So I think we're looking in difficult conversations. We're looking for as close to fair yeah. as we can get. That's good. That's good. That's all I have. That's no, that's, that's the... It's a lot of tweetable quotes in there and uh, lots of, uh, man, great points. And as, as that's the, that's what, what we love having you on for Dick and uh, really, really, really appreciate it. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview today with uh, Dr. Warren Bullock and discuss his book, uh, When Words Hurts. And uh, a phrase I've used many times from since reading his book and the interview was um, having the skin of our rhinoceros and the heart of a child. And uh, one that just, uh -huh. I think that you will find value the listeners you will find valuable and there's no time better than now to get started so here we go well greetings and welcome back to the clarity podcast so excited to have um 
Dr. Warren Bullock with us today. Um, I got to read his book um, with my coach as we were going through some areas that I needed to grow in. And then um, Jay and Cheryl Taylor put us in contact and had this great opportunity to sit down and have a conversation and invite him on to the Clarity Podcast. Warren, will you go ahead and introduce yourself for the audience, um, for maybe for those who don't know you as well? Okay. Uh, I've lived in the Pacific Northwest uh, all of my life, either, either Oregon or Washington, and uh, had the privilege of pastoring uh, four churches and then was involved in uh, district work for about 12 years and uh, had the privilege of being uh, the Northwest representative on the executive presbytery of the general council uh, for many years. And presently I'm uh, on part-time staff at uh, People's Church here in Salem, Oregon. I'm trying to retire uh, my son says, I'm not going to go to any more retirement parties. <laughs> oh, man. We're trying to close it out at People's Church, too, but uh, it, I don't know why. It's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate you taking the time today, and um, we're really looking forward to learning from your wisdom and your insight. And your experience. Um, as I shared, I read um, through your book, um, When Words Hurt, and um, it was very insightful for me. And I took lots of notes and uh, my coach and I, we worked, we worked through that. And um, it was just very, very valuable for me. You share that ignorance and lack of information um, it's, at times can lead to criticism. What can a leader do um, when they can't share, as you put, the rest of the story and they're coming under criticism um, and they're not able to tell others the whole, whole story? Well, I've been in that place and uh, it's no fun <laughs> to be there because you're going to get uh, things thrown at you. And... Uh, it's helpful, though, to recognize that there are some people to whom you can share more of the story than others. Hmm. And uh, to understand those levels uh, of authority, I think, uh, is important. I had a, a staff member that I, I had to let go. Mm -hmm. um, he just was not doing the job. I was getting criticism from parents and and uh, I always defended him uh, mm -hmm. publicly, but in our quarterly uh, reviews, I would talk with him about the issues and, and uh, nothing really changed. And uh, finally I had to let him go, but I was able to tell our board about that, felt like they needed to know. And I just read to them some of the assessments I had written about about this staff member in my quarterly reports. Hmm. Their response was, well, you have been listening to us then. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It gave me a little more credibility with them. Hmm. And um, I also shared with uh, staff members. I, I couldn't share it publicly mm -hmm. because that would have hurt his reputation. Hmm. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to make it more difficult for him to find another place uh, of employment. It would have hurt his family. And um, if I'd lambasted him publicly, then I would have been guilty of, of criticism yeah. of him 
which yeah. uh, other people were uh, aiming at me. Hmm. And um, the people who were criticizing the move or just curious about it, I felt like I could, I was comfortable saying sort of neutral things. Uh, it just didn't work out. Yeah. Or depending on the person, well, you're just going to have to trust me on this one. Yeah. And uh, I lost some people from the church because I wouldn't give more explanation mm -hmm. and took a lot of hits as well. But you just have to do the right thing, the ethical thing in a situation like that. And uh, so the rest of the story is sometimes you can share it, sometimes you can't. Yeah. Warren, where do you find that courage? Because that takes a lot of courage to not, um, as you said, you want to do the ethical thing and you're, you're thinking of, of that person rather than I would think a natural tendency is, is to defend ourselves. You know I mean? When we're under attack, um, at least I'll, I won't generalize. I'll say me, my natural tendency when I'm feel like I'm criticizing is to, to defend myself. And where did you find, and where do you find that courage to, and how do you walk through that process so you don't, or at least I would react and try to defend myself? And what I hear you saying is you're actually defending the person um, that you've let go um, and you're defending their honor and um, guarding them so they're not hurt more in the process. Yeah. Well, you know, the fact is I really loved the guy. Um, he was extremely talented and... Uh, had so much potential that I didn't want to say or do anything that might undercut that potential or make him think he didn't have any potential. And I just, uh, I cared enough about him and his family that I just, I just couldn't broaden the circle. I felt like I told the people who needed to know and I ran the risk of losing some people, and I did, because I couldn't uh, share, share, but I'm still glad I did it. I'm glad I did what I did, uh, because I could look back on it now with a clear conscience, and, um, and that's very important to me. It's uh, having that long-term vision is what you're saying is you can look back on it. A lot of times we get in those short-term situations and we we're not able to necessarily look back with the same, um, uh, value, um, that you shared. You share another thing in your quote that really stuck out to me. You said your dad, um, shared with you that a leader must have the height of a rhinoceros, but maintain the heart of a child. Can you share just a little bit more about this and how that integrates into this subject of, of when words hurt? Well, my dad was a pastor, so I identify with him there. And I'm sure he would never think I would remember this <laughs> or anything he said, uh, but it's just really stuck with me. Yeah, And um, you can develop uh, the height of a rhinoceros by recognizing that leaders are just going to get criticized hmm. uh, because they're leading the pack. They're going to get shot at. It just goes with the territory. Hmm. And um, some of the criticism can just bounce off. You don't take it seriously. 
Don't take every criticism personally. Uh, if you do, if you take everything personally, you may not be a leader for very long. Wow. Because you just can't uh, harbor it in your heart because you will short circuit your own effectiveness if you hmm. do. And uh, I, I'd say in my book about the, the young fellow that came to our church one time and, and then came to my office and ripped us up <laughs> from one side <laughs> to the other. Yeah. And uh, I really wanted to rip back, but felt, felt that I couldn't do that. Uh, but my point is that uh, you have to take seriously some what some people say, but there are other people, their standing with you is not there, and mm. you just you just have to let it bounce off uh, yeah. your height. Yeah, and um, you know, and in pro in the process of dealing with criticism on the external letter, the rhinoceros level. Uh, we have to be careful then that our hearts don't become hard, mm. uh, particularly toward people, because yeah. they're the ones that are criticizing us. And our, uh, our hardness can mean that we no longer listen uh, to any criticism, um, even when it's justified. Yeah, and uh, you can't have a hard heart and love people at the same time. It's true. The uh, hardness of heart can cause our ministry to lose some of the the tenderness and compassion that it ought to have. So we have to know the difference between what we need to internalize and learn from and what we we just have to let go. Yeah. And uh you'll save yourself a lot of grief if you're able to do that. Warren, how do you, that, that's a great point. And could you go just a little, maybe a little deeper on that? How do you, uh, I don't want to make it too personal, but is there a filter that you run through on how to see if you internalize things and don't internalize things? Because I agree a hundred percent. You can go in the opposite opposite end of the spectrum and have a hard heart and never be affected by anything. And that's not where we want to be. But do you have something that you maybe run through your mind or your wisdom and experience to help um, maybe young leaders um, not to internalize those criticism? Like, as you said, if, if we take things personal, then we probably won't be in leadership for very long. Yeah. Well, I think in some cases you just need to ask yourself, is the criticism true? <laughs> because even when, wow someone approaches you negatively and doesn't really mean the criticism for good yeah because they're attacking you personally you have to look at it and say hmm i wonder i wonder if there is something here i need to say yeah. does he does he or she detect something that i'm unaware of has he seen a blind spot mm. uh, in my life or my leadership and I would say that most of the time, uh, I haven't found I haven't found anything particular. I actually uh, have taken some criticisms to our staff about particular things about myself, and say, "Now, do you do you think that's true? Do you see anything 
that's in this criticism that I need to absorb and is there any place I need to change? And, um, you know, my staff is usually pretty honest with me. <laughs> More honest than I sometimes want them to be. Yeah. But it's very helpful if they are. Yeah. And yeah. so you have to always, when you're, especially if you start feeling, you know, these feelings of, of uh, anger, perhaps, or whatever it might be, just ask God to purify your heart and keep clear, keep clear vision of uh, what you've been called to and uh, how you can do it in the best way possible, including perhaps the, the criticism that's come your way. That's good. That's good. And yeah, that's, that's gold. Cool. I appreciate it very, very much. One of the other things um, that I, I found really interesting in, in, in the book was um, you mentioned that without adequate self-care, leaders can be susceptible to temptation, anger, depression, and, and other things. And that criticism can and almost like push them over the edge. Can you share how if we're not taking care of ourselves, um, that criticism might have a greater impact than if we were um, in, in a healthy place? Well, let me answer it this way. I had the, the privilege of pastoring a particular church and sort of, I can chuckle at it now, but it was almost like they thought criticism was a spiritual gift. <laughs> they were going to exercise it very freely. <laughs> so every Sunday I would get a pile of connection cards, you know, with people writing comments on them. I sometimes got anonymous letters. That was before email. And, uh, and sometimes there were face-to-face -face confrontations. I think the most difficult part of it, though, was it seemed like every decision I tried to make, any new initiative or any change of direction, was met with uh, a barrage of hmm. criticism. And that that constant bombardment was so frustrating to me and it really began to erode my confidence in my leadership abilities um maybe i'm not hearing from god uh, maybe i missed god when i came here <laughs> hmm. that's not crossed my mind hmm. um Maybe I'm not so good, not such a good leader after all. So I became hesitant in my leadership decisions. And the internal issues of, of anger and wanting to strike back, uh, which I knew was inappropriate, but I, I did have to deal with those. And I think what helped me was... I was able to really talk with my wife about it hmm. and share because she's a very wise lady. She sees things in the spirit that I don't see. Mm -hmm. And she gave me some good strength of counsel. And then I was able to talk with my staff about it too. And um, in this, in this particular church, 
when the church was trying, when the staff was trying to develop goals and things for the future and plans and so forth, we finally came to the conclusion there isn't any need for us to do this because nobody's going to follow. Nobody yeah. wants to do this. And we, we finally came to a point where I had the staff meet with the board because that's where a lot of opposition was coming from. And we offered all of us to resign. Hmm. That if they felt like there were other pastors who could do a better job, it was obviously they didn't seem to like the job we were doing. Yeah. So if there was someone else that could do a better job, we were prepared. We loved the church enough that we were prepared to step aside. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, that was shocking to the board. Wow. And really, it was a turning point for our ministry there because our our presentation to them i wrote it out carefully mm -hmm. and we i just tried to keep any angst and any uh bitterness or any of that kind of negative stuff to enter in to the discussion you can imagine a lot of prayer went on before the board meeting i'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> is my own heart right yeah. Am I speaking out of anger? Yeah. Um, have I misread the situation? But actually, after that meeting, after some time elapsed and things kind of turned around, I said to my wife one day, you know, I could pastor this church the rest of my life. And so it, it renewed my commitment to the call and to the church and to the people. Yeah which really uh, invigorated my own ministry because it, the, the uncertainty of everything before sort of went aside. It didn't vanish, but it wasn't there the way it had been. And so I look back on that experience with both um, darkness and light. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it was a dark time. Yeah, but it was we came we came through it to the light, and we had a better relationship with the board, and because of that, they helped lead the congregation, and uh, things begin to begin to function better. Wow, that's a that's a great illustration. Great illustration. Warren, one of the other is other things that um, was very valuable for me in the the book is you talked about the difference between what's well, correction versus criticism. And um, how do you, how would someone differentiate between the, those two things and, um, and then guard from reacting versus responding? That's good. Um, in my devotions uh, last week, I came across uh, Proverbs 13, 18 in the New Living Translation, which says, if you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. Hmm. If you accept correction, you will be honored. Hmm. The scripture almost seems to imply that correction and criticism can both be helpful. 
if you allow them to be. And uh, I think what distinguishes, at least one thing that helps distinguish them from correction to criticism is the attitude of the speaker. It's good. Because some, um, some can come on their own with anger yeah. and uh, can attack. It can be sour and belligerent. Uh, that's criticism. Yeah. But if they come with your best interest in mind, they might say the same thing that the other person said, but because of a sweet attitude that they had, you just didn't take it as criticism. You yeah. took it as valid and certainly worth considering. And, um, uh, uh, what a wonderful thing when someone's able to do that without the anger and belligerence. Uh, if you take, if you listen to both, take away the parts that can be applied to your life, whatever, whatever they may be. And if, if you just react, then that really means you're probably not listening. You, you, I can always tell when someone isn't listening because I can see them forming a rebuttal in their mind while I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I think great. to myself, they're not hearing, they're not hearing me. They're just, they're just ready to try to respond to what's yeah. happening. Here. And yeah, that's good. Soft answer turns away wrath. And another proverb says, uh, Verse 1531 in the Living uh, Testament. If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. Hmm. So I've always wondered, is, is there any criticism that actually is constructive? <laughs> <laughs> I think there is. Yeah. But uh, sometimes it's hard to take. And yeah. uh but the attitude of the person who comes to you, it just makes a world of difference. That's good. That's good. Warren, when, when you, if you would receive criticism or correction, do you normally respond right away or do you give it a little bit of time? I just know for me personally, if um, I receive maybe criticism, if I respond, even if I think I'm trying to respond, honestly, there's a lot more emotions in that response than, and it's more of a reaction. Is that something you like a muscle you build up over time that you can respond without the emotional charge that's there? Or is that, is that always a battle that we, we will fight? Do you think? Well, I think it's, I think it's a battle that will fight. I think that what has kept me from reacting, as I said, is if I start to feel like I want to react is the reminder that I need to listen. Hmm. And um, so if I want to refute what they're saying, in some cases it, it can be a, a minor thing that you can deal with. They may make the criticism because they don't understand something and you can tell them what, what the real issue is and diffuse it right there at that moment. Um, but when it's uh, more of a personal attack, I, I'm better. I don't know if everyone is, but I'm better if I wait. Okay. Because I can think through then what I want to say 
And if I just react, I don't know what I'm going to say. Let's <laughs> <laughs> <I> say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, I just, on my part, most of the time it's wisdom for me to wait. Yeah. It's Sometimes good. you can't do that because uh, the criticism is, has an immediacy to it. Hmm. You can be right in the middle of something and someone take you aside and blast you. Uh, but you've got you to continue what you're doing. And sometimes you just have to say that they're off base. And even if they're right in what they say, they're wrong in spirit. That's good. And, That's and, good. and then just move on and not get embroiled with them. You may later be able to go back to them and, and try to deal with it if you can, because you don't want to break relationship. Yeah, that's good. Mo moving on, um, Warren, in the book, um, one of the other things that I thought was very, very valuable for me was um, you share about confronting a critic. And um, what do you think, what are some things that you found that are effective when you confront a critic and some things maybe that are not so effective when we con confront somebody that is, it is criticizing us? Well, I think... I think first you you need to decide whether it's worth having a confrontation. Hmm. There are there are some things even if they're hurtful, but they're not worth fussing about. That's good. And sometimes meeting with people gives them a sense of power. Hmm. Oh, I He's listening to me. I can, I can do this again. Yeah. <laughs> so you sort of have to know the person a little bit to know what the best approach will be. Uh, other times, we're encouraged in Scripture just to overlook an offense and uh, bury it in love. love. Love covers a multitude of sins. And sometimes we just have to bury it in love. And, uh, but if confrontation really is necessary, um, it's not ever helpful to have an angry give and take with them. Yeah. You know, you'll just get in, enmeshed deeper uh, than you were before. It just sharpens the disagreement and nothing really gets resolved. Yeah. So, uh, Again, this is just my, my personal, I guess it's just part of my personality, but I, I will write down an outline of thought hmm. that, I, that I want to, to use to approach them, uh, particularly words I want to avoid and words I want to say. That's good. Because there are some words that are triggers that can set people off and uh, there are others that can build bridges. Yeah. And so that's why I, I take time to just write out a little outline. I don't, don't read it when I get there with them, you know, but it, right. it just gets my mind in the right frame. And um, I think good preparation, however you do it is, uh, needed if you're going to get the desired result. 
uh, I try to follow this, this principle, and it's worked well for me. And it's this, affirm the person, but confront, confront the problem. Hmm. That's good. Uh, so this is not about my attacking them. Uh, it's about trying to solve a problem. Hmm. That's good. Uh, if you treat people with love and respect and affirm them, they are more likely to listen to you yeah. than not. But you still have to deal with the issue. Yeah. And I think you can look for things in their lives that you can affirm. You know, you know, brother, you're so faithful to this church. Yeah. We just appreciate that so much. And, and uh, you've been in leadership and, and have served the Lord well. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, you affirm them in the right way. But along the path, you say, you know, the other day you said something that I, I just need to talk with you about. Yeah. And, or you did something the other day. And uh, so you, you really have to deal with it or you don't unravel it. You can't skirt it as a, as a leader. And uh, if it's really worth having a confrontation for, then you better deal with the problem. Yeah, it's true. If it isn't worth having a confrontation for, then it wasn't a very big problem. Yeah, that's good. You mentioned some some words that you try to that are triggers that you found, and some words maybe that are um, uh, help build bridges. Are there some some trigger words you try to avoid, and when you're confronting somebody that's um, been been a critic? Well, I try to I try to let them know that I am not offended. I think off offended is a a word that can be used in a good way, mm -hmm. even if you're saying it's, I'm not offended. You're, uh, then you're coming to them without a chip on your shoulder. That's good. It, it says something about the attitude uh, that you're coming with. And, uh, I think just, just, uh, coming at the problem sometimes in an indirect way saying, you know, I noticed that uh, you did this the other day or you said this the other day. And, um, just tell me what, just tell me about that. Why, yeah. why did you react that way? Uh, it just didn't seem to be right. It didn't seem like you. So, Un unpack that a little bit for me. Help me understand. Yeah. And so you you try to draw from them uh, what what happened. Sometimes they'll say, "Oh, you know, I was having a bad day. I just popped off. I should never said." Sometimes that's as far as it goes. Yeah. Because they feel bad about it too. And they might not open the door for reconciliation, but if you open it, they're, they're there. They're yeah. willing to admit they're part of it. And I've had that happen more than once. And 
have been happy to just say, oh, you're forgiven, brother. <laughs> I've done the same myself. And so you kind of identify with them. And, and uh, I can't think offhand of any other key, key words or phrases. But Yeah, that's good. Um, here's where you really, even if you write something down, you really have to rely on the Holy Spirit to help you in the moment. Yeah, that's uh, good. To say the right thing. And, that's good. And get to the core. That's gold, Warren. We appreciate it very, very much. Warren, um, one last uh, question. Um, do you have some, maybe some pastoral words you, you, we've shared that you've been a pastor for many, many years, walk through this. Maybe there's somebody that's listening in to this, um, this, uh, this podcast today, and um, they're walking with some wounds, um, and they're suffering a little bit, um, or maybe a lot from criticism they've received. Is there some pastoral words that maybe you could speak to somebody today that might be in that situation? Well, I think it's helpful to remind ourselves that Jesus knows something about criticism Hmm. because he was assailed on every side by people who were shooting at him and um if you can imagine putting yourself in jesus place and you're doing all these miracles and then you're accused of doing them by the power of the devil yeah that's true i can't imagine anything much worse than that yeah um and very little of the criticism that you and i go through will be on that level but, yeah, but whatever level it is, Jesus understands. Yeah. And more, perhaps more importantly, Jesus understands wounds. Hmm. He knows something about wounds. He was wounded for our transgressions. By his wounds were healed. And the wounds of Jesus are transformative because it's from the wounds of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus that we're saved, that we have salvation. It's changed our lives. We have healing through those wounds. And I really think that with God's help, the wounds that we get on occasion from a critic or whoever it may be can also be transformative if we will let them be. Our wounds can give us a greater understanding and compassion for the wounded Hmm. so that we can minister to them with effectiveness because we know exactly what they've gone through. It may be in a different form. It may be a different circumstance, but we surely understand what pain is. Yeah, it's good. And, uh, you know, in reading... Jesus' message when he was in Nazareth from Luke chapter 4, he quotes Isaiah the prophet, chapter 61. And in the King James, there's, a, there's an interesting line. Jesus says all that, that he has come to do. And one of the things that he says in the King James, and I don't know if it's an accurate translation or not, but it's really helped me because it says, that Jesus came to set at liberty those who are bruised. Hmm. 
And that says to me that there can be a bondage in bruises. Hmm. It's not the same as a wound that where we bleed, because if we're bleeding, people will say to us, oh, how can we help? What can we do? But a bruise, we often forget about it ourselves until someone touches it. That's good. And we feel the pain of it again. And Jesus came to set us free from that, to set us at liberty from the bondage of bruises. We don't have to live with them anymore. It's a different kind of healing. But we need that. We need that inner healing, emotional healing, um, many times more than we need the physical healing. That's true. And that's why Jesus came. It's the message we preach. Now we as now we as leaders and pastors, we have to practice what we preach. <laughs> and let Jesus true. do in our lives what only He can do. We, we there's just a limit to what we can do yeah. to heal ourselves. Yeah. And um, Jesus cares and understands, and it's wonderful to have a, a friend like Jesus. That's true. Warren, will you pray for the audience today um, that the, the message that you've, you shared with us um, and so eloquently unpacked, um, I just pray that God will use this and the Holy Spirit will allow um, healing to take place and allow us to be uh, more effective as leaders and um, to respond rather than react um, and to walk in and um, as, as you shared um, with us in a way that we can use, um, whether it's correction or criticism, we can use it for for our good and um, and uh, to build us up. And, uh, and as I'm just thinking back from the beginning when you talked about, you know, somebody that was you had to uh, let go and um, but you were still acting in a way to protect them and in an ethical way rather than trying to defend yourself will you just pray for us and that we will um, be able to model what it, it means to to live like jesus um and uh, not only just you said is in our preaching but when we put it into action in our everyday life i'd be happy to we want to thank you father for the fact that you have called us to ministry. And that means that you equip us, you walk with us. And we are not, uh, we never want to go back on the call. Even when that call leads us into situations where we are hurt by what other people say about us, what other people do, you may have some deep wounds of the spirit. And yet, Lord, we're not going to go back on the call. We're going to do what you called us to do. But help us to do it effectively. Help us not to, to not let the criticism divert us from our mission. And help us to recognize that people are our mission. And that even those that criticize us, need shepherding, and need love concern. Sometimes our harshest critics are criticizing out of their own woundedness because they've been hurt. They lash out. I pray you'll give us discernment to recognize that 
so that we can effectively minister to their wounds, even as you minister to ours. I pray, Lord, that you will give us strength in our leadership, uh, a strong inner core of strength that helps us to do what's right in the situation. As Paul prays to make us strong in the inner man by the spirit. We can't do it ourselves. We need your spirit to give us that strength to act ethically ethically in accordance with your word and to speak words of life rather than words of death. And uh, I want to pray, Lord, for those who may be watching and listening, who have wounds, who are hurting. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you understand. And I pray for healing in their life. Perhaps you'll lead them to someone who can speak words of life to them. And perhaps in their prayer time, they'll receive that touch from you that they need and be able to put behind them the hurt. Lord, give us the capacity to forgive when that's needed so that we don't harbor things in our heart forever that help us to guard our hearts and purify our hearts with your help. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. Thank you that you are with us. We submit ourselves to your leadership. We give you praise in Jesus' name.